we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Um, we're in a series that Bill mentioned about uh, our story and God's story being intertwined and that the two are not disconnected and that somehow they're constantly being interwoven together. And this morning we're going to talk about uh, the art of aging well. There's this expression, I'm too old, which I don't even think is a thing, right? Can't be a thing. I'm too old. Too old for what? Too old to wear certain outfits? Yes. But too old is just kind of like, I don't know if it just sounds like nonsense to me. I'm not even sure there's a, a such a thing as being too old. So let's step into the art of aging well. And I wanna give you um, tidbits of wisdom that I think could be helpful for everybody in the room, whether you're later in life or early in life, I wanna invite you to lean in. And, and as always, my intention every time I get up here is to help us move closer to healing and freedom. That is always my intent. So that will never change. How do I help all of us in the room move one step closer to our healing and to our freedom? so that we can be set free and so that we can move out into the world and actually heal others. And this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna move us through like three moving pieces. One is we're gonna spend some time diagnosing reality, looking at what's really real and really stepping into it. And then secondly, talk about how we can create momentum to get back onto the path called your life, the path that you were actually created to walk on and at times, we miss that we're on this path, walking in a certain direction. And so we're gonna create momentum together this morning. And then we're gonna do a spiritual practice together. And then we're gonna take communion. That's where we're headed folks. And it's gonna be good. So put your belts on, let's go and let's get to work. So when I talk about creating momentum towards getting back on a path, what I mean by that is it's, it requires doing what is called inner work. And by inner work, I mean soul work getting in touch with our inner wisdom. I think everybody in the room has a spark of inner wisdom that has been there since the beginning of you. When you came into the world, inner wisdom was put right inside of this container. And when I talk about the container, I'm talking about your life, the container called you. We're gonna look at a passage of scripture out of Psalm 90. So I invite you to read along with me as I read an excerpt of a little slice of wisdom out of Psalm 90. Listen to the scripture. Lord, you have been our refuge from one generation to another. Before the mountains were brought forth or the land and the earth were born, from age to age, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, go back, O child of earth, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. The span of your life is 70 years, perhaps in strength, even 80 yet the sum of them is but labor and sorrow, for they pass quickly and we are gone. So teach us to number our days that we may set our hearts to wisdom. Now I'm gonna to count to three. I'm gonna ask you all to say that last line. Can we throw up that last line? So teach us to number our days that we may set our hearts to wisdom. Ready to say that together? One, two, three. So teach us to number our days that we may set our hearts to wisdom. I wanna turn your attention to the screens for a moment and we're gonna watch 
a video together. Well, I have the joy of sitting with Dennis and Mickey Holmes. And some of you may recognize Dennis and Mickey Holmes. Dennis is the one who greets the kids as they come in every Sunday with high fives, handshakes, hugs, whatever. There's like a sign that you go through. You give them like five options and they come in and they pick. And Mickey serves with our kids. She's also behind the counter serving donuts and coffee, bringing joy to you all. So this is Dennis and Mickey Holmes. And we've been talking about our story and God's story and how the two integrate, how they are interwoven as we walk through life. And here we are kind of at a later stage in life. And we're talking about this morning about being too old, like whatever that means. I don't think that's really a thing. But as we age and as you think back to your journey with Christ, um, when, when would you say Christ became real to you? Not just a concept, but real in your mind, your heart, your whole soul. John, for me, it was uh, probably when I was about 30 years old when Jesus really became real. I had grown up uh, blessed in a Christian home and had, had repented and baptized when I was 10, but I didn't have a great understanding of what a Christ follower was all about. And at that time, I guess for, for a number of years, it was more about what I shouldn't do and what I should do. And so, uh, but then when I was about 30 years old, I had what I call now a grace awakening and I came to understand what freedom and healing was all about. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I entered ministry right after that vocational ministry as, as God had been calling me and I finally surrendered to that call. And so uh, for the next 35 years, I served as a pastor and a missionary. Beautiful. Yeah, that journey from going from the shoulds to the coulds, from the have tos to the get tos, and then you dump, jump into joy. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the, the beauty of following Christ. Yeah. No, no longer an obligation, but it was what I wanted to do. Yeah. Right. That's good. Right. Yeah. And I also was about 10 years old whenever I really fully understood that, that, that the Bible was God's Word and that salvation was given to me through God's Word. But it was probably not until I was probably close to 30 also that I really wanted a much deeper, disciplined life with God. And so um, at that time I recommitted my life, was actually rebaptized, and then began my adult journey yeah. of faith, which is very different from a, a childhood journey. And uh, I also, throughout my lifetime, had sensed God's calling mm -hmm. as a teenager, made a commitment to go into Christian ministry. So whenever Dennis also felt God's calling, it was it was a very easy decision for Wonderful. me too. You got double dipped. We got double Just dipped. to make sure we it was did. covered. We did. Yeah. We, did. we were blessed. That's great. We were blessed. That's great. We've been uh, exploring Psalm 90 this morning. and. One, one line that sticks out to me in Psalm 90 is teach us to number our days so that we may set our hearts toward wisdom. When you think about teach us to number our days, living with intentionality, dipping into wisdom as we age, what does that bring up for you guys when you think about setting your hearts towards wisdom? Well, Psalm 90 brings up to me how I came to be at ascent uh, because the morning of my 70th birthday, I started the day in Psalm 90, not thinking about the verse you mentioned, but thinking about the three score and 10 or maybe even 80 years that God would give me. So I, I on my 70th birthday, I, I was thanking God for 70 years. And it happened to be that I came to Ascent that morning. We were here uh, staying in a VRBO for a month of September. This was in 2019. And that was the morning that Bill interviewed Vic Gulas about end of life things, his priorities, his experiences as he was coming to the end of his life. and. Uh, uh, God spoke to me through that testimony. And over the next couple of days, uh, as I continued to pray and uh, talk to people about it, 
um, I just felt that God was leading us to move to Colorado. So that's how we got from Cincinnati, Ohio to, to, uh, to Longmont, Colorado, where we live now. And uh, so Psalm 90 was a, a psalm that on my 70th birthday I was really looking at, so I was numbering my days. Yeah, that sounds like wisdom. Well, hope so. <laughs> I hope I live another, I'd like to live to be 100. Okay. And I had a pastor. You heard uh, it here. Pastor, you heard it here. <laughs> he said, uh, heaven's my home, but I'm not homesick yet. So yeah, I'm right. All, I've, I've remembered that. Yeah, we'll take it. And so, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> hope to ride my bike till I'm 90. At least. Okay, great. Yeah. Watch out, folks. <laughs> For me, I think wisdom is one attribute of God that I have always yearned for, to be a wise person and to understand God's wisdom. And so it's important to me, and I think wisdom is only attained as we've experienced life and as we age. And so I hope fervently that I am increasing my wisdom and understanding of God and others. That's wonderful. That gives us that gives us something to look for when we look at people who are further along in life to strive for how do you how do you move towards wisdom? How do you set your heart towards wisdom? So thank you for giving us just a little glimpse into your life and into your story. Oh yeah. All right, one more time. Say this with me. You ready? Teach us to number our days that we may set our hearts to wisdom. Dennis and Mickey, I uh, have observed them over the last year and a half, and they are what I would call spiritual elders. And spiritual elders is not something that you just get because you're growing old. It's not about aging and all of a sudden you become a spiritual elder. And I thought about the characteristics of how I would define a spiritual elder, somebody who's aging well, somebody who doesn't say things like I'm too old, but I'm getting there towards the end of life and entering into the stage of wisdom. And I thought about wisdom and that wisdom is the stuff that is, that you can't read in a book, the rational mind can't access wisdom and that frustrates us as Westerners because we're so rational in our thinking. But knowledge has a ceiling, wisdom is the stuff above the ceiling. And how do you get to wisdom? And I started to think about those who walk in wisdom in our midst here in our community. And a couple of people came to mind. It was not just Dennis and Mickey, but Pat Runyon was one of the people that came to mind. And Pat, I was joking, just sitting up here at front, but I've watched you, woman, and I've observed you, and you are what I would call a spiritual elder. And again, not just because you're older, but there's characteristics that you hold. And um, there's a reason why I think that's the case. And then the other one is Lauren Humdy. Where's Lauren? Is she in the building? She's, she's in the back. You guys, if, do yourself a favor and get to know Lauren Humney, Pat Runyon, Dennis, and Mickey Holmes. And there's been a myriad of spiritual leaders that I've met over the years, spiritual elders, and these are the common characteristics that I see in these people. And I, I want to read through just a few of these and see how this sets with you. They radiate an inner light. I mean, when they walk in a room, you know it. They seem deeply good. Notice I said seem, Pat, don't get too cocky. They listen well. They make you feel funny and valued. You often catch them looking after other people as they do. Their laugh is musical and their manner is infused with gratitude. They are not thinking about what wonderful work they are doing. They are not thinking about themselves hardly at all. Spiritual elders. 
Reality check. Just because you're getting older doesn't mean you're a spiritual elder. Some people just get old. And that's a reality that we have to step into and look at. I know lots of people who are just growing old, but they're not possessing the wisdom that comes from aging well. And what I know about Pat and what I know about Lauren, as I look at them along with other spiritual elders that I've had the fortunate blessing of getting to know, is that they've come through a couple of significant hurdles that are the path to wisdom. And the path to wisdom can only be attained, I'm convinced more and more, through great love and great suffering. You have to experience great love, to love something more than yourself, to love something bigger than yourself, but you also have to experience deep loss and deep suffering, which I know you have. And I've watched people age well by holding those two things inside of the container called their life. But I also have noticed that these spiritual elders do what is called significant soul work. They turn to the inner life and they begin to look at the container called themselves and they take a good hard look at what is their life? What are they up to? What is God calling them to? And they've moved from role work to soul work. And so often we spend time in role work in the early stages of life because role work has to do with fit and function. It's where you fit, it's how you function in society. But soul work is the hard work, it's the inner work, it's the stuff where we have to step into side, inside this container called you and start to address what's really going on inside my heart and my soul. So as we diagnose reality and take a look at the really real, and create momentum in the direction of wisdom, we're gonna do a couple of things this morning. So I'm gonna ask you to step into some practices with me and I want you to pay careful attention. So the first thing I wanna talk about is as we create momentum to get back on the path of life to wisdom, the stuff that exists above the ceiling, that we are invited to return to our point of origin. Where your story begins has a lot to say with the trajectory of your life and how things are going to unfold as you walk on the path towards wisdom. That point of origin story is really significant. Now, whether you are consciously aware or not, there are two people that live inside of the container called you, all right? Now, some have called this our, our true nature, and our sinful nature. That's the biblical imagery that we're given. Some use the language of true self, false self, high self, low self, our authentic self, our fake self. There's all kinds of language that people use to try to describe what's going on inside the inner life. The language I wanna use this morning, again, is getting back to the art of aging well is our inner wisdom. So that's your true nature that inner wisdom that lives inside of everybody of everybody in this room. And then the second is ego. So I wanna talk about your ego a little bit. And we're gonna do some ego work this morning. And we're gonna expose and reveal that part of you that needs to let go of the reins. So it might get a little uncomfortable and a little bumpy here this morning, so prepare yourself. But that ego part of you, I think that ego was developed probably between the ages of zero and 12-ish, where you start to take on a different form because you have a role that you have to serve in society, in your family dynamic, in your religious community. And the ego, as it's been taught to me, is that part of us that believes it's in control of our life. One of my spiritual teachers said this about the ego. He says, the ego is the part of us that edged God out. 
So that comes from Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is the narrative, the story, where humanity, which was once in the garden, in union, in divine connection with the creator of the universe, decided, I don't want this union anymore. So it created a separate self and decided to go out and take on its own life and become the manager of life and the world around us. How are we doing as humans and managing the world? It's not well, but humanity made a conscious decision. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this on my own. I don't want to be in direct union with God. I don't want God calling the shots of my life. So I'm going to step away. And now we've become a separate self. Now, the problem is, is that many of us are still living in that Gen 3 posture of separateness. So the Genesis 3 posture, really, all it knows to do is to step away from divine union and into separateness. It sees itself as separate, divided, a part of something else other than divine union with our creator. So your ego, that part of you, your false self, thinks of itself as a separate entity, divided. So you think about the implications of that as you move into life as a divided self. There's two of you at war inside of the container called you. Your ego is in competition with everything and every one. Don't you feel that part of yourself? There's a, there's a competitive part of you. That's that part of you that believes that your value is purely based on what you have, what you do, and what other people say you are. This is what I would call individual low-level awareness. When your whole value and your identity is based on what you have, do, and what others say you are, you are operating in individual low-level awareness. Here's the problem with that kind of thinking. When you don't have, you aren't. And when you don't do, you aren't. And what others say about you doesn't align with you know who yourself to be, then you aren't. And we move through life kind of like living in this I'm not. And when your life is dictated by the I'm nots, then that part of you becomes the definition of who you are as a person. I'm not this, I'm not that, which I've said before, it's just not interesting, is it? When we talk about the parts of us that are I'm not driven, those I'm nots are not really you in the first place. So why are we talking about it as if it's you? That's not who you are. We could use biblical imagery here and we could say that Genesis 1 is where we started our point of origin, where we were in divine connection with the creator of the universe. We were connected with everything and everyone, with, with the creator, with ourselves, with each other. And Genesis 3 is that image outside of the garden. So Genesis 1 is about being in the garden of connectedness. Genesis 3 is outside of the garden, living a separate life. And many of us are moving through life Gen 3 on ourselves and on everybody around us. We're living in a Gen 3 narrative. You think about the implications of that, that we're living, we're kind of like soaked and saturated in separateness. There's three S's there for you. Soaked and saturated in separateness. Because at the heart of that sense of separateness, I believe I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not important. And all of that narrative starts to get into the inner story. So when I talk about soul work, getting back to inner wisdom, what I mean by that is getting back to our point of origin and Gen 1 narrative becomes the driving story of life. I call that the art and learning the dance of Gen 1-ing. Like to step into a Gen 1, it's like, hey, ladies and gentlemen, go Gen 1 yourself. 
like fully step into the whole Gen 1 narrative of I'm connected, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate any one of us from the love of God because we're already connected at the very heart of who we are. That's that inner wisdom piece. Now we've got a huge problem. And the huge problem is this, is that we very seldom listen to our inner wisdom and we very seldom pay attention to our inner wisdom because the false self has been in control for so long that we can't imagine a reality apart from that false essence. And that, that false self has cast a very large shadow and has shrouded and clouded the true essence of who you really are, that inner spark, that inner wisdom that dwells inside of this container. This is why some spiritual teachers insist that the work of life is to do what is called shadow work, or they call it shadow boxing, facing our shadows, facing that false self and moving in that direction, facing that egoic self and the courage it takes to face ourselves and to realize there's something inside of me that I have to begin looking at, even though it's shrouded and clouded and covered up by ego and our shadows are so terrifying for some of us. I know that when I invite people in to do shadow work, there's a resistance that comes up, a physical resistance that comes up in people's bodies and they start to judge that work away. They start to define it like, well, that's stupid work. That's a waste of time. Why are we even talking about that? What are we even getting into? That ego rises up and begins to invite you back into that Gen 3 narrative of I'm separate from each other. I'm separate from myself and I'm separate from my creator. Let's take some reality checks for a moment. Are you ready? Reality checks. Shadow work is really hard. It's hard when we have to face that false sense of who we are. And so I invite you to pay attention to the resistance that's coming up in your body and in your mind as we do some of this work. Another reality check and one of my, my favorite teachers throws this out into the world and he says, let's admit this folks, all of us are addicted to our way of thinking. Welcome to AA, right? All of us in this room are addicted to our way of thinking. Hi, my name is John Wolner. I'm addicted to my way of thinking. How about you? Can you admit that? Can you hold that? I'm addicted to my way of thinking. Well, because my way of thinking is the right way of thinking. It's gotten me this far in life. So how can this be any other reality? All of us, all of us in this room have learned to identify with our persona so strongly that when we are young, we have become experts at denial and anything that doesn't support our persona, what do we do? We eliminate it, get rid of it. Our persona is that part of us that we throw out into the world. This is how I fit. This is how I function. This is me and my individuality. And we throw out that persona into the world and we want people to simply support that persona. This is who I am in the world. And that part of us, our persona, our ego, can't handle criticism well. It certainly can't handle humiliation. So anything that attacks that persona, I mean, we freak out. That is why practicing being kind rather than being right is essential to your survival as a human being. You wanna like, you wanna agitate that ego? start practicing being kind rather than being right and see what happens. That you're not in it to win the argument. You're not in it to prove how important you are or how smart you are. 
but you're in it simply for the joy of having conversation with other people and entering into connection because you're not separate. You're connected to everything and every one. And what that practice does is it invites us to loosen the grip, to step into the light and to expose the separate self because the separate self, all it does is perpetuate separateness in the world. If you think about if I'm living as a separate entity, a separate self, that's what I'm gonna bring into the world. I wanna share a few secrets with you. Secret number one, when we become ego, we become someone playing a role rather than being real. Huh. We're fake, we're just copies. Secret number two, this one's gonna be tough. Everyone can see our shadow, so it's crucial to learn what everybody else already knows about us except for us. Like to admit it. It's like when a two-year-old hides behind a curtain and their feet are sticking out and they're giggling, you're going, what, what's happening right now? What are we doing? You're not really hiding, that's us, that's us. Secret number three, your egoic self shrinks others through judgment. Uh-oh, am I talking to anybody in the room? Your ego shrinks others through judgment. We belittle people. Do you know why we belittle people? Because we belittle people. We are little versions of ourselves when we are belittling another human being. Because if you haven't noticed, people are overwhelming. And when people are overwhelming, we try to belittle them so that we can actually manage them. And so we tear them down and we're shrinking people and we're out there gen three on the world, separating, dividing. It's how our world runs. It's how politics runs. It's how so much religion runs in the world. How do we create othering and theming and using and all the stuff that we do in our own narratives of like, it's them, it's, it's, not, it's not us, it's them, it's the other. And we can't see the person anymore because we're so separate from what is real. And the moment you start to lose control, there's two characters that rise up inside of you and you start to get hypervigilant and that inner judge rises up inside of you. And when you're hypervigilant and your inner judge rises up and pairs up with your ego, oh my gosh, what do we do? We shrink and we belittle because we be little people. Your separate self cannot believe that it, that it simply is important because it exists. It it's believes that it living in separateness. And so that inner judge and that hypervigilant sense of who you are pair up with that ego self and you just start gentrying on the world and everybody around you, especially when your persona is threatened. Man, you wanna talk about something rising up in you? I mean, we can barely happen when somebody, we can barely hold when somebody honks at us on the road. We freak out, don't we? Just a mere honk sets us off in the right direction because your separate self is like, no, 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 that's my persona. My persona is out there in the world. And what that ego does, friends, is it hides, it shirks, it has to be right, it has to win. It's a caricature at best. It believes that you are your body and your image that that's who you are. It can't let go, it can't forgive, it can't fully accept people who are different than you, so it always keeps things separate and puts people outside. Listen, if you have learned how to forgive yourself, here's the reality, you will then be on the path to learning how to forgive just about everybody. But if you have not learned how to forgive yourself, I'm afraid 
that you will likely pass on your sadness, your absurdity, your judgment, and your futility to others. And there are so many people who are aging and they're not dealing with the core issues inside of the container, maybe because they haven't been eldered or mentored themselves. The last secret is this, your belittle self, your belittling of others dams up the river. Your life is about flow. And when you spend your time in judgment and belittling, it actually cuts off flow. You shrink, your container gets small, and all of those creative energies that you have access to in the divine creator gets cut off. Creativity and joy begin to shut down in the container. You're damming up the container and you're making yourself smaller. There's an 85 year old woman by the name of Florida Scott Maxwell who writes this, and I want you to hear this. 85, and this is what she has to say. You need only claim the events of your life to make yourself yours. When you truly possess all you have been and done, you are fierce with reality. Oh man, can you almost taste that? Fierce with reality. The only way to become real is to put your loving arms around everything that you've been and everything that you've done, even your shadow self. Can we fully admit and live into our own contradictions that every one of us is a walking contradiction? To look at ourselves and go, listen, I am self-serving and generous. I am spiteful and compassionate. I am cowardly and courageous. I am treacherous and trustworthy. The moment you decide to claim all of it and step into the journey of becoming a real human being, your ego is going to rise up and say, who the heck do you think you are? I've been running this show all along. I've been the master of your life. We got this, I've protected you. I've gotten you where you are today. How dare you even suggest that you wanna take back your life and be in divine connection with your creator. Listen very carefully from the wisdom of Parker Palmer. He says this, if we can't embrace the whole of who we are, and I mean embrace it with transformative love, we will imprison the creative energies hidden in our own shadows, and we will flee from the world's complex mix of shadow and light. This is shadow work, moving towards the dragon. I mean, you think about all the great literature in the world and the stories that capture our imagination. All the great stories are about a seemingly insignificant little child or somebody who's kind of on the outside and they have to go on this great journey and they have to overcome great obstacles and actually slay the dragon at the end of the story because the dragon is actually the child or the shadow that holds the key to your freedom, facing your greatest fear and stepping into it, embracing all of it, all of it belongs. This is what I've been and this is what I've done and I own all of it. And then integrating the shadow into the container called you, not judging it, not declaring that it needs to go away, not throwing it away, but stating to the shadow, actually, I'm going to be in control of my life now. I'm stepping back into union with God. And what I love about the Jesus story is that somehow in Christ Jesus, there exists a real you. And this is what the scripture so often talks about. As we step into the rhythm 
of walking with Christ and walking with God, there's a real you that begins to emerge in the story and you begin to see yourself hidden in Christ with God. And I'm convinced that if we knew who we were walking with on the path to wisdom, we would be fearless. But so often we forget who we are walking with. And if we fully embrace the reality of like, yeah, it's me and it's Christ. It's me and it's the Father, the divine creator that I've always been in union with. I'm going back to my point of origin and now I'm stepping into the full rhythm of walking with my creator, walking with other people, walking with myself and seeing reality for what it actually is and not something that I've made up in my own mind. But stepping back into the rhythm of walking with Jesus, that's my invitation for you this morning is that you get to say yes to the way of Jesus. You get to step into the rhythm of Christ and then you get to declare over your own life what Paul wrote about in Colossians chapter three. He said, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does that say? In Christ, there exists a real you. There's a you in there. And getting back to you, becoming the youiest you that you can possibly be is the journey. That's the inner story. That's how God's story and our story intertwine together, even as we age and stepping into that rhythm and begin practicing being kind rather than being right. Could you imagine what we could do to the world if we just practice being kind rather than being right? Could you imagine how we could change things, even in our own circles that we walk with, of how we react to other people instead of leaning into our own absurdity and sadness, but practicing forgiveness, practicing letting go, practicing waking up, practicing being able to hold humiliation because it's there to teach us something and to expose that egoic self, to get beyond that. And I, I don't wanna be fake anymore. I wanna be real. I wanna be the realest me I can possibly be. And so as I step into the way of Christ, my mind opens up and I start to see things through the cosmic Christ. And I start to have what is called Christ consciousness. And my mind wakes up and my eyes are open and I begin to see the beauty of who Jesus actually is. I wanna invite you into a meta practice this morning. And by a meta practice, I mean M-E-T-T-A and meta defined is wishing you well without judgment. So imagine moving into relationships with other people, wishing you well, caring for you well, without an ounce of judgment. And the practice is called this, the practice of loving kindness. So as you move into the day and as you step into relationships, here's what I want you to say to yourself and to others. May I be full of joy and may you be full of joy. It's gotta start with you. Can't start with the other, it's gotta start with you. That's called flow. May I be full of joy, may you be full of joy. May I be well and may you be well. May I be at ease and may you be at ease. May I be at peace and may you be at peace. Can we step into that practice together? We're gonna to come to the table this morning and partake of communion. And I'm gonna invite our high school students to come up to the tables, there's three in the front and there's three in the back. And as we step into this rhythm of our taking of the goodness of God, this is a space that everybody is welcome to step into. 
Wherever you are at in your story, you get to step into this rhythm of partaking something from our creator, the cup and the bread, which declares that God is with us. God has always been with us. And that somehow through Jesus Christ, we enter back into that life-giving union of everything and everyone. And that in Jesus, if I bring my whole story, everything that I've been and everything that I've done, I'm a walking contradiction. But when I come and I partake of this meal, that somehow I find love and acceptance simply because I exist as a human being, that I'm enough simply because I'm alive, that I'm good enough, I'm important, I matter and you matter and we're all interconnected. So when you're ready to come forward and partake of the cup, you have options. There's also gluten-free options at each table, but come and receive the good gift of God from our students this morning. Thank you.